Dave Harvey here. Today's podcast is being done in a joint venture between Sojourn Network and Am I Called. Now we're still recording from Naples, Florida, where, where actually a little lady named Irma, the hurricane, just blew through and disrupted our lives. In fact, the, uh, the road alongside the house where I live was just had, had a river of water running down it. And I'm, I'm looking out my my office window right now at trees that are horizontal laying down on the ground. But but one of the things that's so encouraging is how how the churches in Southwest Florida are just mobilizing to serve and care for people that are affected by this hurricane. But let's uh, let's leave the hurricane for a second because I'm really excited because joining me today is J.D. Greer. And let me tell you a little bit about J.D. J.D. is married to Veronica and they have four kids. J.D. has been the lead pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and that's been since 2002. J.D. is also a faculty member at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has been a, a missionary to Muslims in Southeast Asia, and something that the folks of Sojourn Network are really excited about is that J.D. is going to be speaking at our leadership conference, which takes place just two weeks from today. So, J.D., thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I'm honored. I'm very excited about the conversation we're going to have. So, just out of curiosity, what does J.D. stand for? (laughs) You know, I feel like I'm supposed to have some big dramatic thing, like, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, and so it was Jack Daniels, then I got saved, and I was Jesus' disciple, but it's just James David. If James is a family name, and they didn't want to call me that, but they didn't, they just felt like J.D. You know, I come from the South, so you can get away with initials. So is it shortened, like, when you were two or three years old, you start rolling with J.D.? No, I mean, pretty much from the time I was born, which is odd to look at, think of, like, a looking at a little baby in a crib and calling the baby J.D., but that's, that's what it is. <laughs> well, I was thinking- and then I was excited because then when I got older and I got, especially got in seminary, I was like, man, all these great preachers in the past all had, like, C.H. Virgin, C.S. Lewis, you know, the yeah. M.L. Jones. So, anyway. You're in uh, good company. That's right. That's right. And it raises expectations, too, doesn't it? I know. It means I'll just go places and perpetually disappoint. <laughs> well, J.D., the theme of this year's Sojourn Network Conference is why partnership, and, and specifically churches flourishing through collaboration. And one of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking about your story is how it's, it's evident that you are at least endeavoring to embody this theme. I mean, you started a church planting network. You are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. You, uh, when you go onto your website, you, you, you list your partnership ministries right there on the website. So why don't you tell, tell the story about how this particular conviction became such a vital part of your practice? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's going to be partially, you know, biblically based. And the other part, you know, is going to just come from the working with people and recognizing your own uh, your own deficiencies. I mean, uh, you know, when we knew that God had really called us to church plants, um, as a church, which I think he has, you know, virtually you can say every church is called to that. We just knew that we weren't, we, we couldn't do it alone. We, we didn't have the skill to do it. Um, and so we looked for some other people. We were really involved in Acts 29 for a while, as I know many of the Sojourn uh, pastors were as well. And just, uh, you know, they had some, some expertise that we really benefited from. Um, biblically, of course, you just, you know, you find that Paul, everywhere he goes in the New Testament is, you know, trying to get this church to work with this church over here and, and putting together. It's, it just comes out of our understanding of the body of Christ, that God rarely puts all of his gifts into one person, which I'll be honest, Dave, I, I have been, 
I feel like I've spent the majority of my professional life fighting against that because I want to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I want to be just sort of a one man show that can do everything. And you know what, what God really helped me see is that that really was kind of a arrogance I had toward God. Cause I, I wanted to be at a place where I didn't need God. Um, well, after coming to that place, it's like, it's very easy to say, yeah, now I also realize I need the other dimensions of the body that are going to speak into it. So we, we've over the years, um, you know, look for, for people that we can um, benefit from and benefit because then that's good partnership, right? It's not when it's all one direction, either us to them or them to us. And so um, the, that's sort of, I guess, the it in a nutshell. Maybe the first place, just to go backwards just a tad, is I, as an international missionary, um, you know, when you go over there, there's just, there's a level of dependency and networking that just goes to entirely new levels when you're on the mission field. Why is um, that? What's that? Well, why is that? Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of it, just the culture, uh, you know, the culture things, the the making mistakes. You know, it's like, you know, I've heard it said that when you're overseas, uh, you need to look at it like paying off a mortgage. Uh, you know, you, when your first few years of your mortgage, all you do is pay interest. You don't pay any principal. And then after you've been there, you start paying down principal. Well, when you're first overseas, all you're doing is trying to survive. And, you know, you're, you're, you're an American, a 21st century American trying to make pathways in, you know, Southeast Asia where I was. And so being able to learn from the benefits of others and, and, uh, and then also just use some of the, the, the existing pathways that they've created, that was just, I mean, that was really, um, I'll tell you this, even since then, I, I should have learned my lesson then, but we have, uh, we got a little too big for our britches, as my parents would say, um, uh, you know, because we thought uh, we'll just do some stuff overseas and nobody's doing it in this area and we don't need anybody. We'll do it, you know? And we just had, honestly, we've had a couple of disasters overseas. And it's because um, if you had to point to a human reasons, cause we didn't, we didn't have the humility to seek out the right partnerships. We thought that we, we could just do it because we were big church, had lots of resources. I had some experience on the mission field. And so it's like, I've had to learn that lesson over and over again. So you did that before you were a lead pastor in North Carolina. So when you then came back and you, and you started Summit or you took over a church, those convictions were already embedded and, and you were beginning to think about pastoring, you know, with this idea of partnership already intact. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. But what I was trying to say is I came back with those convictions, but as with many things in my life, God teaches them to me one time. And then I demonstrate that I don't haven't really learned the lesson. (laughs) <laughs> so I have to fail again. And so that's what happened is even after that, I kind of blazed out in some new trails and fell on my face again. And God taught me the humility that says I need partnerships. Yeah, I could, I could take you to the place I was sitting when I think in reading first Corinthians 12, and it wasn't some illumination I had as much as it was in a class where a professor was speaking and he was pointing out that it, that first Corinthians 12 is not, is not really talking about different gifts, but, uh, different people, different partners. You know, for one spirit, we're all ba- through one spirit, we're all baptized. Uh, Jews, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. And that idea there is not that just that the body is made up by different gifts, but by right uh, by different people. And that sense that we need our church needs people from outside to make us a more effective body. And right. it, it began to expand my understanding of not only the the local church, but how the body of Christ is, is designed to serve the local church and how important this partnering and collaborating really is. Right. That's, 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 that's great insight. Yeah. And the other thing, I don't know, we maybe we'll get to this. Um, but you know, uh, Keller, Tim Keller says, I think it's center church. Um, I think is, is where he says this, but he says, 
institutions and movements need each other. And he said, you know, movement is when there's exciting, you got like a large personality usually, and it's all, everybody, it's cool. Everybody wants to come be a part of it. Um, and he said, we're used to talking about how institutions need movements and institutions without movements are dead. He said, that's true. He said, but what we don't talk about as much is how movements need institutions to have staying power. And he said, because, you know, what happens is you get everybody really excited. And at the end of the day, when everybody's you know excited, it's like, well, we don't have anything to show for it, except we had a conference. And it was like a, it's almost like launching a stick of dynamite into the air. You know, it blows up and people for five miles around can hear it. But, you know, five minutes after it's done, there's no evidence that it even happened. And so, you know, I, I realized this even, you know, because our, our church does a lot with the Southern Baptist Convention. That's one of the networks we're involved in. Um, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention um, is, a, you know, in every way an institution. And there have been things that have certainly had a lot more movement than the SBC has had. But, you know, a very sobering reality is every single year, Southern Baptists graduate out of their six institutions or seminaries. They probably graduate probably 4,000 people. If we write off half of them as not that serious, if you take 2,000 and you take out another half that are just, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, just wrong mindset, that's a thousand people that these institutions crank out every year. And that's the staying power of an institution. So I'm not saying everybody should be a Southern Baptist by any means, but um, I'm saying that there, there, there are some of these institutions and networks that then you might feel like you're banging your head against the wall a little bit, like I often do at the SBC. But you're going to end up having a lot more impact and staying power when there's you're, you're, you're building something that has collaboration with other people. Yeah, and, and building something that, that realizes that if it continues, that it's going to move more towards institutionalizing and that some of that is a, is a really good thing. It's a, it's a natural part of the development of an organization. Right. We want to move towards the healthy parts of that and, and, and try to refrain from, from developing the unhealthy parts of that. That's right. One of the things I was thinking about, J.D., is that um, as we're talking about networks and uh, you, you have a church planting network, but you also lead a, a large local church. And yet when I think about how networks serve, the overwhelming majority of the churches in the United States, actually probably in the world, probably in history, are, are small churches. Right. And so partnering for them is is somewhat understandable in that they be, they're able to pull their resources to accomplish things together. But in leading a large church, like you're leading, um, you are still advocating the importance of collaboration, although your large church is resourced to be able to do a lot of things on your own. You don't necessarily need to partner with other churches, at least in certain realms, but you've pushed this, you've pressed this, you've, you've, you've made sure that you are collaborating. And, Right. And why is that? How come? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's going to be, um, it's going to be both kingdom calling as well as just a, an awareness that even with a large church, um, there are just multiple dimensions of ministry that we are not skilled at. It, it's easiest, Dave, to talk about this when you go overseas. That's the easiest way. And I'll just put a plug in for that. I mean, you know, the vast majority of people who haven't heard about Jesus live overseas. So, you know, while we can all, you know, partner together, plant churches in Dallas, and we want to partner together there, when it comes to Tajikistan, um, I just, you know, you, three people from a church, our church are not just going to go over there and blaze new pathways. We've got to be able to partner um, in those things. So if a church tells me they, a big church, they have no need of partnering, I usually just tell them that they're not looking in the right areas. 
they're, they're working in already reached areas, not brand new areas. Um, but even beyond that, even when we are partnering together to plant a church in Dallas, um, like I said, part of it's kingdom calling. Um, I just know that if God has given us resources, that there are a lot of other churches that um, can benefit and we can bring them along. I mean, some people in my life very graciously brought me along. By the first church we planted, I mean, I was a total like, you know, it was kind of like a suckling. I just sort of jumped onto this other church that was doing it. And I was taking notes and, and taking credit, you know, when they really probably deserve a lot more of the credit than I did. Um, but it was, you know, I learned. And so it's part of that, you know, things that were committed to me. I'm trying to commit to others. That's kingdom calling. But um, the other is just, I, I don't know. I mean, for us, a lot of these smaller churches are churches that we planted. And so there's a family type of relationship. But we have found that the greatest um, gifts uh, and the the best sense of excitement comes from these these church plants and these smaller churches and you know the vast majority like in the Southern Baptist Convention just to use that as a, an illustration again has I think forty two thousand churches in it you know it's like forty thousand of those are going to be under the, under the size of two hundred well none of those may compare to our size but they make up a lot more people and a lot more of, of Christ's body than than that the, the thousand mega church Southern Baptist mega churches out there do. So if you want to have big impact, you've got to be able to engage the smaller church, not just the bigger ones. And, and your experience seems to be that the smaller churches are making a notable, discernible, quantifiable contributions to you, to your church, the, the fellowship that you enjoy, the, the things that they're doing, the way they, uh, the less presentable parts can make such a vital difference to right. the body of Christ. It's no, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, so let me, let me be, I mean, so uh, I, I mean, there's nobody that I've learned more from and am, am greater admirer of Tim Keller than, than me. But let me just like give you a little context for something. You know, he talks about the strategic nature of the cities, go to the cities. That's where you got to change culture. I, I totally agree. We plant most of our churches in big cities. Um, but when you go to these Christian leaders and you ask them where they came from, they almost always came out of small churches. I came out of a small church, not that I'm a great Christian leader, but we almost always did. Um, most of the people that are, are, are culture changers in New York City grew up in a small town and moved to New York City. Hmm. So the idea that we're just going to plant a few mega churches in big influential cities and then you're going to, that's just not, it's never happened that way. So yes, we want to focus on big cities, but most of our, most of our, our generation's future leaders, whether we're talking the arts, sports, or Christian leaders, are right now sitting in small churches in small cities. Yeah, so part of the part of the idea of partnering, even whether it involves large churches, small churches, but when it does involve small small churches, is that you're making an investment into the future mm -hmm. because some of the some of the best leaders may emerge from those small church contexts. That's right. So talking about Keller JD and um, and you know I was thinking also about what's going on with Matt Chandler, and uh, you're leading a multi-site church. Uh, I'm involved in a multi-site church. A couple of weeks ago, Matt Chandler at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas announces that their congregations are going to be slowly but deliberately moving towards kind of a congregational autonomy. And I'm just wanted to draw you a little bit, you know, what, what do you think that represents? Is that just one multi-site model just doing what's best for their people? Or is well, that... I, I thought, yeah, I, I, I do... Yeah, I do. You know, I will like uh, Matt and I have talked about this, you know, so I'm gonna let Matt's public statements be public and not. But, you know, I think even from his public statements, you can can see that it wasn't like a big change of conviction for him, you know, where he was like multi site is wrong. Mark Dever and non marks of the healthy church are the only way to do it. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, that'd be okay if he developed those convictions, but that really wasn't it. It was like, you know, for a season, um, I feel that tension. Um, we have not chosen to go that route, although I, I very much understand. I mean, there's, I'll tell you that um, at the end of the day, the reason that we went multi-site is because we felt it was the easiest and most efficient way that we could reach people. Multi-site for us is never in, has never been in distinction or, or even competition with church planting. In fact, they, they accomplish really two different purposes in relation to the church. We plant churches in places where we don't have people coming. We plant campuses in places where we do have people coming. And whereas a church plant, you know, when we had an auditorium of a thousand and, um, you know, if we had to try to plant a church there, I mean, you know, a good leader might be able to convince a hundred of the, of the thousand to go on that church plant. Well, we would have filled up that, that extra, that hundred seats. We would have filled that up in a second. But when we were able to put a campus, another campus of a thousand, all of a sudden we doubled our capacity and so what we have done is said, you know, in those places in the triangle, we only do campuses in the triangle. Um, and because you know, we don't have people driving from other cities around the country to come to our church. Um, so we, uh, whenever we have a place in the city where we got people driving 20 minutes or more to come to our church, we say, well, I'm flattered you would drive 20 minutes to come to our church, but the people you just met at Starbucks are not going to come with you 20 minutes to a church when they have no interest in Christ. So we want to, to make the church more local for you. Um, so I don't, I'm, I'm not really like, I'll just say this. If JD was having his preferences for what a church would be, if that's all we were thinking, um, then yeah, I think a church seven or 8,000, one campus would be like ideal because you'd have all the power of a big church. But, but I, I just, for us, it seems more effective right now. We're a church of 11 campuses in the triangle. And that's just a more efficient way of doing it than even if we just had one campus and we're trying to plant 10 other churches. Now, I do think, I think what it shows with Matt is Matt has a, a great deal of humility and we all see that because his ego is not tied to how big his church is anymore. And that's, that's something that really, you know, speaks to me. It's obviously a good succession plan. I mean, what we've talked in our church about, you know, if, if I got taken out by a straight bullet next week, um, then what will probably happen is we'll see if there's somebody that God has groomed, you know, I'm, and we're constantly doing this to take over my spot here at the summit church, or we'll just have 11 churches, you know, because you, you finding a pastor for those churches is probably easier than finding, you know, one, you know, for everything. So I feel like it gives us a little bit of flexibility. So I, you know, I feel like it was a little bit of a rambling answer, but I, I think, you know, you could, Pressing on anything. I, think, I think one of the measures of the effectiveness of the, of the model is, is whether it can be transferred to the next generation. Yep. We're, we're kind of still in the first generation period with it and experimenting, exploring, adapting. And, and so it will be, uh, we'll have a lot more information 15 years from now as That's to, true. you know, whether we were able to transfer this into the hands of, of the next generation. But, but for you, what are the things like, guys are listening right now to this podcast and and maybe they're in a multi-site model and they're trying to discern what are the possible vulnerabilities that we should be keeping our eye on uh, as we're working this model for you what are the things that you and your staff are are looking at closely and continuing to monitor to ensure that the model remains healthy yeah, so I would say the biggest thing is not even something that's unique to multi-site. It's just unique to a big church. And I, I almost feel like sometimes we, we blame multi-site on something that 
big churches of any size of however many campuses you are going to deal with. It's very easy in our church to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. And we don't think that's a church. We think that's an event. You know, if you're going to show up and just be anonymous. Um, we think that, uh, you know, what, what we say at our church is we want to grow bigger and smaller at the same time. Um, and so, you know, what are the systems? Sometimes we have to invest in things that increase the quality of the church rather than enlarge the seats, you know, the seating capacity that's there. And so, you know, that's just constantly attention because not, you know, you, sometimes you have to choose, is this, are these resources and this money going to be used to plan on the campus or to create better discipleship and, you know, training structures within. And so we're, we're just, that's, that's a hard balance. I mean, obviously, you know, you say the obvious ones, you got, you know, cold personality um, that, that tends to develop and those sort mm-hmm. of things. But Again, I would just say that if anything, I know this sounds like a line, Dave, but I felt like our multi-site approach has helped that, not hurt it. Because when we were a church, we were about 2,000 when we went multi-site. And um, when I, we were in church at 2001 campus, I was like, I mean, I was like the guy, like if I didn't show up, it was JV or whatever event it was. Well, I'm the pastor here. And no matter how much I talked about other leaders being empowered, I was still the large presence. Well, when we went multi-site, you know, you had a whole you know, group of leaders that raised up because I wasn't there. And even though I was the teaching voice that came on, you know, most consistently, other people began to say that, you know, their primary go-to pastor, their, their varsity level pastor, or one of these others. And so, you know, I feel like that's been a, um, you know, like, how do we, it's been, a, you know, for me personally, Dave, it's been hard, like, because, you know, when I first, I became a pastor because I love people and I love being involved in their lives. And, you know, when you're with 11 campuses, you can end up spending a lot of time, you know, working on the process and managing the, the system rather than working with people. And so we've had to, you know, what are ways that I can continue to remain a pastor and not just a, a CEO? Um, that's more personal because that, you know, sure. that doesn't affect around the church. It affects me. But I'd say those are big things is, you know, how to how to create real community. I mean, you know, we just to go back to Mark Dever for a minute, we, he's one of my ministry heroes. He's a very close friend. Um, we have our elders read nine marks of the healthy church and we go up to the weekender and we, we just, we're nine marks people um, because we want to be a church and not a, and not an event. And so we think we can do that, you know, with in multi-site Mark and I have had long, long arguments about, you know, these things. And he, he'll say to me, he'll be like, JD, one of these days you're going to have to answer to God for all the people that were in your church that you didn't really know. And I always say back to him, one day you're going to have to answer to God for all the people that would have gotten saved in your church if you'd have created room, but didn't because you, you know. <laughs> and so we're both going to have a lot to answer to God for. It's just, it's a tension. You, know, you have to hold on both sides. Well, one of the things I like about what you said is that the, the model, if it's done, if it's done well, it does press to redistribute power and influence mm-hmm. away from, you know, that, that lead guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's necessary in order to be able to keep the church growing and in order to be able to make the, the different congregations healthy. And uh, I think that's a, that's a wonderful example of, um, of, of emptying oneself of that, uh, that desire for glory and power. And, and I was thinking about this with respect to, you know, the, the story of you, um, running for the, the presidency of the SBC. And, you know, because it was only last year, I think, that you were in this tight race, mm-hmm. the election uh, for, the, for the presidency. And, and it, in fact, it went to a runoff vote, I think, didn't it? Two of them. 
two runoff votes. And then, you know, when the voting drama was at its highest pitch, you kind of stunned everybody by withdrawing from the race and throwing your support behind the front runner. And so I'd really be curious, JD, you know, tell us about that decision and what you were hoping, what would you hope other leaders would carry away from that and, and apply from that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, well, I mean, the long short of it is, in the moment, I just knew it was the right thing to do because, not to be too mystical here, but I know it's what the Holy Spirit was saying. You know, this is what I want. So I don't want to be overly like, oh, here was the, the thinking behind it. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that I, – I, I, let me just give you a little background here. I, I come out of a very traditional Baptist background. Um, my church, we, you know, read the King James Version only. And we didn't have any drums in worship because that would make you want to dance and dance was, you know, led to all kinds of bad stuff. And, uh, you know, we didn't go to movies <laughs> and there's a lot of things in about the church I grew up in that were just not, I don't know. I just, things that obviously don't, don't continue to hold, but they taught me to love Jesus. They taught me to love the Bible. They taught me to love evangelism and missions and to trust God and do big things. And those are the most valuable things you can give to somebody. Um, and I don't, I don't look back with resentment and hatred toward, toward them. I look back with a lot of admiration and I know that I probably got a whole bunch of blind spots of my own and my grandkids are one day going to shake their heads. Say, can you believe, you know, grandpa JD, he actually thought this when, you know, and, and I hope they, they, they respond to me with grace. Well, I felt like with a, you know, something like the SBC, um, you're going to have a lot of churches that they need to go forward together. And I don't really want to lead a, a group of young people who take over the convention and shove, all the older people to the back of the bus and say, your day's over. Um, I, you know, it's going to take um, kingdom minded, let's just call them the older generation who say, Hey, you know what? JD doesn't do things exactly the way that we do them. And, but it's, he's still, you know, we got the center in common and new generation, new wineskins. And it's going to take those of us who are in that plan to also say, man, I just, I love, I love these churches that. That, that, that nurtured me on the gospel. And I really do feel like we can go forward together. And so in that moment, and I feel like this is like, this could really be twisted. So I hope your, your listeners will listen to this charitably. But in that moment, many people felt like Steve represented, you know, just kind of an, an older generation. And um, I represented sort of a newer one. And it just, it seemed like what better way to communicate all of this than for me representing the younger generation to kind of pick up a towel and say, let's wash the feet of the older generation. I'm, I'm not scared of, of them. I'm not, I don't feel like they're the, I, I don't feel like they're, you know, the, the Pope and I'm Martin Luther and I'm trying to nail something to the, I mean, there are things that need to be corrected, but you know what, we can go forward in the gospel. And I hope that when it's our turn to go forward, then they'll, they'll, they'll walk in support of us as we're trying to do with them. Well, one of the things that's evident, and this kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier is that it seems like part of what you have in view in, in how you're thinking about the SBC in the future is, is that to move forward together, it involves protecting the institutional memory and the mm -hmm. institutional continuity, which means it's not just a matter of pushing aside, you know, the prior generation and saying, okay, you're tagged, you know, you've, you've done your part and I'll go to the sidelines, but, but, but really sitting at their feet, honoring what they've done, learning from them and making sure that they're included so that there really is a baton that is passed right to the next generation. And then the next generation is being supported by that prior generation in moving right. forward. And let's, let's be realistic. I mean, sometimes they're going to make decisions that make that impossible, you know, and, and I'm not saying you just, 
give your life for the institution by any means. Cause you know, there are times you just kind of say, uh, you know, an institution, a denomination, a network, it's, it's a tool. It's not the end game. It's not going to be in heaven. It's just a tool that we use on earth and a tool. If it's in the woodshed, if it's rusty and it's dull, you sharpen it. And if it's so rusty and dull, you just throw it away and get a new one. And I'm very okay with saying about certain networks or whatever, saying, you know what, that's just so rusty and dull. We just can't. I just need to go somewhere. I, I, I'm open-handed with the SBC. I, I, I mean, I don't think that that's where this is going. You know, I think I, I really do feel good about it. But, I, I mean, Jesus didn't call me to the SBC. He called me to the church. Mm-hmm. And the SBC is a tool that we can use to be a part of, you know, facilitating networking churches. Sojourn is a tool. The Summit Network is a tool. And so let's, let's use the tools and let's be patient with the tools and hope that, other people will be as patient with us as we're going to be with them. And, and let's, you know, let's try to walk forward in humility. Yes. Amen. JD, I'll make this my last question. So you're joining us uh, just in a couple of weeks at the Sojourn Network Leadership Conference. It's October 23rd through the 25th. And, you know, what, what, what burdens, when you do something like that, when you join another network, you teach at a pastor's conference or a leader's conference like that, what, what burdens do you typically bring to an event like this? And, and what are you hoping God's going to do through your participation in this event? Yeah. Well, I was just going to go through, um, you know, kind of Donald Trump's presidency and talk about things I've liked and things I haven't liked. I thought that's what would bless. <laughs> yeah, that would be very edifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if I would, would love that. No, um, you know, what I typically bring here to this is probably kind of at the core of our church's church planning strategy is the conviction, uh, really twofold, is one, that the greatest resources for ministry are in the church, not in the leadership. And so we need to have a servant attitude of saying, you know, where is, how, how can we as, as leaders serve our churches, uh, the congregations by raising them up? You know, all the promises that Jesus made about the greatness of the church are not tied to one leader getting larger and larger and more and more people basking in the anointing of this great leader. They're all tied to the Holy Spirit multiplied throughout the church. You know, um, that's how the greater works are accomplished, not, you know, through the one God we want a, a bazillion member church. Um, so that's one conviction. The second conviction, and I'm, this sounds a little bit rah-rah, but it really does get me up in the morning, um, is the greatest days of evangelism are ahead of us, not behind us. Uh, I mean, there's still 6,200 unreached people groups in the world. And, you know, we're in a nation that is going backwards in many ways, could, you know, with the advance of the gospel. And, you know, I just feel like the Lord's arm is not shortened that it cannot save and his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. And I don't think it honors God for us to talk about the glories of the Reformation or the glories of the early church. Um, I feel like he wants to move in our day. And I feel like he says, you know, let's, let's use these things in the past as um, a promise of what I want to do in, in the future. And so I get to come somewhere like Sojourn and think, what's the Spirit of God doing in this network of churches? It's obviously his work. It obviously was something that, you know, 20 years ago, nobody would have predicted, you know, this would be what it is. So, so what's he doing and where does he want to take this? Hmm. Well, we're really excited about having you there. And, uh, and for our listeners, it's, it's not too late to join JD and myself and Colin Hansen, Mike Cosper, actually a host of other leaders or teachers are going to be there as well. It starts once again, two Mondays, October 23rd, two Mondays from today um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and you can get more information or you can even register at at sojournnetwork.com. And JD, if someone is interested in the Summit Church Planting Network or maybe things that you've written, where would they go? Yeah, you know, probably the easiest one stop site would just be my blog, jdgreer.com. Um, JD and then G R E E A R, three vowels right in a row. 
Um, and over there you'll have, I mean, you know, the, the book that I wrote about church planning is gaining by losing. And that's one that you kind of introduces you to both our strategy, our story, and then principles that we've learned along the way. It's organized around 10, um, principles for multiplication in the church. Um, on, on the blog, you'll find pretty much every resource that we have. If you dig around enough, you can find it there. Uh, Summit Network is also linked there off the blog. That's just summitnetwork.com if you want to go directly there and skip my blog. Um, but that's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of a family network of churches. Um, and we're not, it's not like, we're not like, Hey, everybody in the world, you know, come join our group. We're, we're, but we also recognize that sometimes there we can partner with, um, churches that didn't necessarily come out of ours, that there's just such a like-minded spirit and a strategic ministry focus that we're like, this is a really good relationship. So if somebody wanted to see if they fit in that, or, you know, if they wanted to know, maybe somebody's listening and you're like, Hey, I really want to, um, I'm really looking to get trained. And for whatever reason, Sojourn Network is, I can't make that apprenticeship work. You know, we take onto our staff every year. We, we, we um, put four um, church planning residents on our staff and give them nothing but a headhunting license and say, you got nine months, we'll pay your salary, just recruit people from our church to go plant a church. So if somebody's like, man, that really sounds like for me, then you can access it through that. Excellent. So you can get the, there through those sites. And, uh, and finally, just on the Am I Called side of things, this podcast is part of a suite of services from amicalled.com. So there's a free leadership assessment there. There's, there's dozens of articles. We, we recently crossed the 50th podcast threshold with folks like uh, Andy Crouch and Russ Moore, Trip Lee, Scotty Smith, Paul Tripp, yeah, just a host of other, other folks who come and check us out there. And thanks for joining us today. And, uh, and, and we hope we see, JD and I both hope we see you at the Sojourn Network Leadership Conference 